Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are our almighty God. You alone are faithful, loving, and merciful. We gather this day to celebrate life. Jesus died and was buried, but on the third day, Jesus conquered death. We rejoice that you, O oh gracious God, offer this same life to all who believe. Yet this day, we have mixed emotions. We are in the midst of a pandemic. Our world is a mess and it's scared. People are getting sick. Loved ones are dying. Caregivers are exhausted. And supplies are being depleted. We come to you, the giver of life for help. May all who are weary and carry heavy loads come to you, Father. Please comfort and strengthen us, mighty God. Increase our faith and heal our land. We pray all these things in your risen Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Imagine a perfect world. A place where there's no disease, deformity, and death. No fighting in the home, at the office, or on a foreign land. No diets, leaky roofs, politics, traffic, or mosquitoes. A place rich in experience, pleasure, and relationships. We once had a world like that. It was called Eden. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God tells us about this perfect world. It was a paradise in every way. God's creation living in perfect harmony in a perfect world. Adam and Eve walked with God. That was until they believed a lie. May have even thought the lie was small, but their friendship with God was shattered as they took that first bite. Everything changed when sin entered the world. Let's fast forward to Jesus. God loved this world. And because he did, God sent his son. He was born in a manger and grew up in modest surroundings. At about 30, Jesus began preaching and he gathered a group of disciples. He announced that long-awaited kingdom of God had arrived. He modeled what life looked like under God's reign and rule. Some responded and followed, but most didn't. Eventually, Jesus Christ was tried. He was tortured and crucified. That Friday and Saturday felt dark. It was dark. Yet in spite of how it looked, God's redemptive plan was moving forward. 
You see, everything made sense on Sunday. It was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Everyone was shocked. Even though Jesus had talked about it and even predicted it. The stone was moved and the tomb was empty for all to see. In fact, let me read from you the account that Matthew wrote in Matthew chapter 28. And uh, I'll be reading the first 10 verses. Early on a Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. <laughs> the Marys had no idea what they were in for. They were just going to prepare Jesus' body. There was an earthquake. There was a rolling aside of the stone. And there was an angel. I don't know if they've ever met an angel before, but... But this angel was sitting on the rock and glowing. Well, the guards saw it. <laughs> the seasoned guards saw it and fell into a faint. Let's read more. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. Come, see where his body was laid. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I told you. Again, the ladies had to have been petrified. The first words out of the angel's mouth was, no, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I know you came here looking for Jesus, but Jesus isn't here. He's, he's been risen from the dead. I want you to go. Let the disciples know. He's going to meet you in Galilee, but, but go. Then let's continue. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciple the angel's message. As they went, Jesus greeted them, and they ran to him. They grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. What an amazing story. What a shock for all those that early Sunday morning. But in some ways, they shouldn't have been. But they were. They didn't get it. But meeting the resurrected Jesus made all the difference in the world. Jesus had conquered death. The enemy was dealt a fatal blow. Jesus talked and ate with his disciples after the resurrection. In fact, 
he saw over 500 people. Many of those had seen the abuse, the whippings, the floggings, and especially the crucifixion. In their heads, how could this man be alive? How could he be here talking with us after that abuse and after having his life sucked from him? Jesus knew it would be critical for people to meet and talk with the resurrected Jesus for two big reasons. The first reason, it will give hope to all believers. You see, Easter shouts to each one of us because Jesus' resurrection is the first of many. Let me have Paul explain it to you. This text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. Paul writes this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Jesus was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Jesus just showed us what's going to happen in the future. He started it. He modeled for us. But each of us that know Jesus as Savior will be resurrected when he comes back. Believers will be raised to life, supernaturally raptured, transported, and transformed. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 15, he says this, We tell you this directly from the Lord, you Thessalonians. We who are still living when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on this earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Life is promised. Death has been defeated. And Jesus showed us how it's going to happen. So don't be discouraged. Encourage one another with these words. The second reason is that Christ's resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Actually, without the resurrection, there's no hope. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 13, the apostle writes this, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Realistically, Paul is just saying this, saying, if what we're telling you is lies, if what we're saying is not true, then if you're living like it is, you ought to be pitied. You are a sad case. Well, what's next for believers? What, what can believers look forward to? Well, the scripture is pretty clear. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's returning to the garden. Basically, I'll call it Eden 2.0. Eden 2.0 is where perfect people live in a perfect world a place void of sin or its effects. It's a place where God's kids experience a perfect relationship with their Father. We read about this new heaven and earth in Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. Let me read a few verses for you. The Apostle John writes this, and he says, In a vision, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the city has no need of sun or moon. For the glory of the Lord illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, 
with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. You know, the scriptures tried to describe heaven, but words will never be able to describe a believer's future or heaven. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Life is hard now, but the future will be back to the garden. God has worked throughout the ages, even though we don't always see his fingerprints. We look back in history and we see some were protected. Others were tortured. But all, all those who were of faith had a blessed hope. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter that talks about all of the great saints who trusted God in spite of their circumstances. Let me read from you, starting at verse 13 in Hebrews 11. All these people died still believing what God promised them. They did not receive what they had promised. Excuse me. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they had come from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. You see, the future is bright for believers but actually quite painful for those who don't have faith in Jesus. The scriptures also tell us in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes some judgment, so also Christ was offered once, for all time is a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Let me pause there. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. You know, what's amazing is that God really desires a relationship and offers salvation to all. But salvation is a choice. It's a choice 
with huge ramifications, both now and later. You see, Jesus Christ did come to die on a cross and to pay our debt for sin so that we might be united, reconciled with the Father. But not only so we can enjoy heaven and eternity, which is and will be amazing, but we can live abundantly right now. In spite of circumstances, there can be joy. In spite of, well, a dismal future, we can trust our Father who holds the future. God sent His Son Jesus because He loved the world. And Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected. So that all of us might enjoy life now and later. You know, the hard part is, is that every person is destined to die once. And judgment does come after that. There will be those who spend eternity with their God. And there will be many who will spend eternity in darkness. You know, our resurrection and our eternity with Jesus is our blessed hope. It's the very reason when we, well, say goodbye to loved ones, when they close their eyes here on this planet, we mourn differently. We know everyone who has put their faith in Christ, when they die, we will see them again someday. You know, the truth is, you will live forever. Everyone will live forever. Your choices here on the planet determine where you spend it.